you this. Let me ask you this question. It's been on my mind today. I had a long drive back from Nashville, you know, so it's about it's about three hours, you know, so you got time to sort of just get in that Zen zone of driving, you know. I got the Batmobile, you know, cranked to 80. We're mm-hmm. just cruising down 65 South, mm-hmm. thinking, you know, the whole time. I'm just like, let me. Eastbound and down, rolling hey, Oh, yeah, man. Got to Jerry Reed it. <laughs> what, in your opinion, as an educated man, makes the perfect burrito? Now, take a moment. Mm. Because, my friend, I have found a place in Nashville that I am, I am, it's, it's damn near the perfect burrito. Okay. It's, it comes from a place called the Beehive, and it's okay. in East Nashville. Okay. They make a breakfast burrito. It's bigger than your head, <laughs> but it is perfectly layered with, with, with tots, scramble, cheese, pico de gallo, little jalapeno. Oh. But what really seals the deal, and this is my opinion of what makes this puts the, the burrito over the top. You got to oh. have like the hot sandwich press to put, yeah. the, put the sear on it. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on. I'm going down 65 munching on this thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> this day can't get bad. <laughs> Plus, it, it just feeds into my belief that the burrito is um, is damn near a perfect food delivery system. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know. It's pretty uh, it's it's pretty open and flexible, right? For like anyone's tastes or or, or dislikes, right? Yeah. Um, Clark's in Chicago, they had some pretty good breakfast burritos. Um, trying to think, I don't know. That one sounds pretty perfect, though. You know, because it sounds like it came out like a Taco Bell crunch wrap, right? Like kind of like a crispy. Like, well, I mean, yeah, you know, you got that burrito, right. Yeah. Plus, everything is good in ratio. You know, uh-huh. it's that perfect tot ratio. It's that perfect scramble mm. ratio. It's that yeah. cheese rate. Like nothing is too overwhelming, you know, and I don't yeah. know. I don't know what attributes that now. You know, I don't know if that's a layering technique or a mix it in a bowl technique. Yeah. I, I am curious. Like next time I'm going to go and just be like, how you should you, ask how do you him. make yeah. it? Yeah. yeah like, just can I come back there? Can I just, yeah. I just <laughs> right. you, you know, know, I used to do this kind of stuff. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I'm a kind salt of a chef the food, yeah. the food industry. <laughs> I think uh, you. I think you. You definitely have a street cred uh, card there, Jeff. To pull. I should. I will pull my Ruby Tuesdays card. <laughs> Be like, I've done it all, baby. I will never forget uh, the. You know, being like, uh, like out with you. Um, uh-huh. You know, and you would start talking about the restaurant industry, and you would just be breaking it down. And it's like, well, Jeff, I don't know where to eat now because you've like basically like explained the entire <laughs> agricultural industrial <laughs> complex and how it's working. <laughs> I just oh, leave it to food. an leave it to an egghead to ruin everything. It's oh. funny. It's funny. No, but your story made me think about uh, when we were in Vegas. Uh, Dana, we were at the Pepper Mill, and Dana ordered this omelet, right? And you think omelet it's going to be good, right? But you think maybe two eggs, three eggs tops? Yeah, sure, right? for a good omelet. Yeah. This thing had eight eggs whole. in it. Eight yes. whole eggs. Yes. Okay. For one Jeez. person. This omelet was like the Terminator or something. Like it just wouldn't stop, right? It just kept going. Finally, Dana asked, she goes, how many, 
like how many eggs you know she's like two eggs in right and she's okay. like this is a huge omelet how about you know i mean now don't get me wrong it was a great omelet right it had all the right ingredients like you're talking right. about but it just yeah when she said eight eggs i was like this is a single serving portion hey it's vegas baby yeah go big or go home <laughs> that's right? right that's right <laughs> Yeah, so it had like like all the fixings though. It had like some bacon and cheese. And yeah, all it had that. the bacon bits, the little sausage bits, you know, uh, little green onions, uh, all that, all that little good stuff. Uh, I put a, I, I ate a, a a small portion of it, but I had to put my um, I had to put my Louisiana hot sauce in there, and you know, that's right, that's right. You're it, you're one of those right, egg yeah. hot sauce people. Oh well, that's the Louisiana. That's just like once I remember yeah, one of my mentors uh, when we were down there at Louisiana. I was having uh, some some local food, and I poured some hot sauce on. It. He's like, "Yeah, try it with that." And I did it. I never have looked back. Right? You never looked back. But at, what but is, at that what is point, it about he, it? He, well, he it's just the I guess it's just sort of the salty, spicy flavor mix. It just makes huh. it wonderful. And okay. uh, he he put his arm around me and he said, "Well, buddy, here goes your gastrointestinal system." Yep. Those peppers will ruin it, man. Just absolutely just destroy you. And I love and, I love and a to good this Tabasco. day. I remember it. You know, I remember it, but I still pour the hot sauce on. Yeah. Well, aside from culinary and delights, we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. And on this here show, we we uh, talk talk movies. Uh, we got two on the docket today. Speed Racer. 2008 from the Wachowski. Is it Wachowski's or Wachowski's? I always get uh, it. Yeah, I've heard it pronounced both. I've ways, heard it pronounced so both I'm, ways too. So I'm going to go Wachowski's. Maybe they do uh, that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the North Avenue Irregulars, 1979 from Bruce uh, Bilson, digging into the Disney vault. And uh, I've got a little bit, I think we're going <laughs> a little back, back and forth on that because the Disney vault has a very interesting history in my <laughs> Many that people don't even realize, you know, that, that they don't, yes. they, you know, especially as we'll be talking about. Uh, and by the way, just to be clear for everyone, the North Avenue regulars is a live action movie. Uh, it's yes. not an animated movie. So I'm just yes. putting that out there uh, up front, but I'd like to jump into speed racer first uh, today. Um, you know, speed racer, an adaptation of the, of the classic uh, 60s, uh, 70s anime. I know it was a it was a manga. It was an anime. I watched it for the first time as anime on MTV late at night uh, growing up, and it just blew my mind because I was just like, I'd never seen that style before. You know, yeah. I think you have that reaction, especially if you're you know in North America, the first time you watch something like anime for the first time, you just go, what? is this like <laughs> you know the 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 mouth doesn't quite match right you know the the vocalizations and i came to find out that they actually go ahead and draw it first and then dub the dialogue in so it doesn't always match uh match up especially when doing english translation so that's what gives it that weird you know sort of the cadence doesn't quite quite match but i i always find it amusing that uh, they get just the most esoteric voice actors to do to do these yeah. characters. Who oh, watch out, yeah. speed! <laughs> you know, um, all part of the it's style. Not, it's all part of the style. Oh yeah, no, it's it's absolutely yeah. part of the style, and that's what I love the most about. One of the things I love most about this movie is that it doesn't try to pretend to be anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, I I mean, they are going for their adaptation. They are shooting. They are hitting for the fences 
They're taking all of Warner Brothers money, all their good, you know, all their good karma they had built up, all their stuff they had built up with the with uh, uh, the Matrix trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you gamble. (laughs) (laughs) And and sometimes it works. And in this case, you know, at least for the populace, it doesn't. But I'm here today to argue that this movie does work Um, and it does hold up. Uh, because they made a live action anime cartoon, uh, you know, I mean, and, and worked in all the editing of it and the way the transitions, you know, work and just, just, I am sad. I didn't see it on the big screen. Now this was the second time I'd seen it. I saw it originally on DVD back in like 2009. This was a rewatch for me. Uh, we were talking just a little bit about speed racer last week. We had mentioned Matthew Fox, uh, mm-hmm. who played who's racer X in this movie. Uh, uh, oh, by the way, this movie stars, uh, Emil Hirsch's speed. Uh, John Goodman is dad is pops. Susan Sarandon is, is mom. Uh, Matthew Fox, as I mentioned before, let's see who, uh, Christina Ricci, uh, plays, mm-hmm. who is she? Trixie, Trixie. That's right. Mm-hmm. She's Trixie in this film. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I just, this this cotton candy colored <laughs> mushroom dream uh, those racing sequences I, I you know i do credit though i will credit sin city i think laid the groundwork for what they were able to to think for about for the effects well just yeah. to think yeah. about because this is all done on green screen and all of Sin City was also done on green screen and created in, you know, uh, what has now become the, uh, uh, what's it called? The ILM curtain. Um, oh, they call it the process or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, the LED walls and the, and yeah, the, the LED yeah, walls, you yeah, know, right. it was before that, but it was that idea, you yes. know, it's just saying like, we can, we can create the game engine and project everything and look at everything in real time or at least with pre-vis. And I got to tell you, the pre-vis on this must have just been an absolute nightmare. I, I, I you know, because you're trying to invent camera movement and automation and syncing and all of these. This movie is a technical marvel. I mean, an absolute game changer as far as the way you can probably, I'll, I'll probably assume that they probably program the cameras uh through computer system kind of like ilm did originally with the original miniatures and star wars you know where you would just they would very you know uh, input into the little computer the archaic computer that the camera moved a certain way at a certain time you know that's the feeling i got on some of the sequences i was i was thinking to myself it's like gosh the only way they could have pulled that off is just like some sort of pre-programmed robotic you know movement i mean i might be wrong you, you might know more about this than i do on on this particular film but um yeah, and, and, and again, one of the things I like about these filmmakers is they're always trying to swing for the fences. And I, you know, I even watched Jupiter Ascending. Have you, have you seen that yet? Okay, you need to watch that because okay. it's, again, God bless them. They're going for it. It, it doesn't always work, but man, it is something to see. Like it's it's just like you're at least going to be stunned by what they're able to accomplish compositionally, you know, on the screen. Uh, and I was more impressed with that, but uh, with with Jupiter uh, ascending at least. But um, for this film, I, I just it it 
I just kept blowing my mind. Like I just couldn't stop not watching, you know, not watching. I wanted to rewind it, but again, I have that, you know, that thing where it's just like, no, watch it, just watch it. Uh, you know, and, and decompartmentalize it later. But what 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 were your feelings when you because you did you see this at the movies originally? Oh yes. What oh yes. I mean Talk um, a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, this is I, I can't remember if I was it me who like justified this movie to you where I was yes. saying hey, this movie in a few years is going to be reevaluated or it's going to yes. be, it's, okay, good. Um, I first saw it in the movie theaters. Uh, Kobe and I went together. He was um, six years old mm-hmm. when the movie came out. And um, we were uh, absolutely spellbound after watching it in the movie theater because it was so visually overwhelming and mesmerizing with its relentless use of color and cutting and energy and camera that movie hardly ever sits still um and when it's kind of prescient yeah yeah yeah. it was very you know it was very telling about where the culture was headed which is particularly with what we like from our media consumption yeah now um because uh the movie holds up um the generation that's in their 20s uh, now absolutely love it it's nostalgic because they all remember it uh i thought it was brilliant at the time and thought that it was really not getting its due um because it's also a really beautiful movie about family and it's got a huge anti-capitalist message in it <laughs> it does um, yeah and it was really you know it was really i thought it was just really smart right and um uh, it it just but it didn't do well because I think it was marketed as this family movie and it is but I don't think that the marketing matched what they got in delivery and so you know it kind of, there was some, kind of some misfires there and people misunderstood it but I I think that it is one of the movies that remains on in terms of the last 25 years I would put it on a list like on a t- top 25 list i think it's that cool now, is it is it just a, as a family film or is a film or how would you because it's interesting today we're actually doing two films <laughs> that were marketed as family films that's right but that's yet right. there's something a little bit off that's you know right. like it, it's it's almost like and i when i was doing reading and both about, of them have car chases in it too and both yeah, of them yeah, have car yeah, chases yeah, in yeah, them. Yeah. wonderful car chases yeah um you know with speed racer i was reading about that that the warner brothers executives absolutely lost their shit when when they saw the dailies you know they're like what are you doing they're like yeah. this is what we're doing yeah yeah <laughs> It's like this is this is it. This is the story. This is the style. We're very confident in it, and we know. I mean, it's such a confident movie. It's just unapologetic in how it presents itself, and it doesn't stop. It just doesn't let up. And um, I, I we saw it twice in the theaters, mm-hmm. and then I bought it like immediately on DVD, and now we own it on like you know Blue Bray Ultra Fork, what whatever the highest like. You know, oh, I watched absolutely. Before. I watched it in high right. death. It's, through Amazon and, it's, and, it, and it's it looks unreal, amazing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's so so not only that, but we're talking about a movie that's you know what, 15 years old now? Yeah. And it still looks like it was made yesterday. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it has that quality to it. And um, 
yeah, it's just it's just so much fun. It fuses so many things together. Uh, and um, how can you not l- love a movie where John Goodman and Susan Sarandon are your parents? Like that's just like it's it's like the greatest thing ever. I don't know. It's a or, it's a or really when you get to movie. see like John Goodman wrestle a ninja. Yeah. <laughs> He like choke slams a ninja, and I'm just like, he that's does. the coolest thing I've ever seen in my it life. It does. It does. Oh, Jeff, the merch from this movie. I we still have uh, a lot of the diecast cars from the movie because Kobe, you know, he he wanted them. He played with them. He was, you know, it was a it was just a huge thing. Then there was a video game. Mm-hmm. There was a PlayStation game that was really really neat. It wasn't quite obviously the movie, but like they did simulate a lot of those course tracks and stuff, and it was it was fun, man. It was a it was a was one of those really cool tent pole movies that could have really taken off if it had just had a different reception at the time, I think. But it's why, why, why you know, I couldn't quite understand the critical drubbing uh, that I was reading when when I was reviewing old criticisms of the film, you know, from from its initial release, where it almost felt like I love that people were saying how a lot of critics were saying these are very well-known critics were saying things like the the non-linear structure of it doesn't make sense and i'm like right. but rashomon does you're right 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 you know that's i'm just like that's weak sauce like that that doesn't even that doesn't even make sense that criticism because i'm just right. like so they told like so what so they spent the first 15 minutes of the movie using a unique flashback you know, scenario and during the race, the first race, just to catch you up on everything so they don't have to waste time, you know, with empty dialogue later about filling in the blanks. Like they do it in in, in that way, you know, and yeah, I, I just, I didn't understand that criticism of this film at all. The critics, the, the, the main critics that I read um, criticized the style, criticized like, you know, like you're talking about, like it moved too quickly. Um, it didn't have enough pause points. It wasn't marketed enough for kids. Um, you know, these really unfair criticism. A lot of times I was, uh, you know, finding things that uh, they would talk about all these negative things about the movie. And I'm like, no, but that's what makes it so brilliant and sort of prescient. You know, sometimes I think we do experience movies like this and we're scared to say, you know, especially in 2023 with the soundbite era that we live in, you know, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. You know, those monikers really mean nothing these days because it's so overused. But um, critics do, I think, encounter sometimes like something that that they feel that makes them feel that way. I know this movie made me feel that way when I first saw it. Like, this is a great movie. Like, like, why is everybody trashing on this movie? Like, it's really brilliant. And the kids love it. Um I don't know. We even I, we I mean we yeah. we we even have the built-in kid-friendly narrator, you know, uh, at uh, you know sprightly and uh, in, in Chim Chim the the monkey. I I mean, this film is is pretty flawless in it, in its construction. I'm sorry, yep. but it, it it really is like they touch on all the bases to make sure that they're appealing to all demographics throughout the film. Um, and I just want to say the 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 child actor who played Sprelly, wow, they they got one hell of a performance out of that. He's kid. great. He's great. He's, he's just so good in the monkey too. Um, I, I I just. Do you remember the actor that played Royalton 
I can't remember his name at this point. He's sort of the, the British villain. Yes. yes. I, I can't, can't remember, remember his name. Yeah, no. I can't either, but he's a really famous British actor, but he, um, I mean, like he's been in a lot of stuff. Um, but what, what sliminess, what griminess, oh, you know, the pancake thing about, oh, I just must have this pancake recipe. Yes. And he's just, you know, everything. And then showing it, show it going close and tight on his mouth as he takes a bite of it and oh, like, yes, you know, relishes so... it. And is just sort of like, hmm. <laughs> That's what capitalism tastes like. Mm. That's what capitalism tastes like. Yep. Uh, You know, what is your, what's your overall on the Wachowskis? Like I, 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 you know, they're, they're hard to pin down for me. Um, But again, like I was alluding to earlier, you know, like I'm a champion of cloud Atlas. People hated that film and they co-directed that with Tom Twyker. Uh, and I think it's it's not only a faithful adaptation of the novel by David Mitchell, uh, which is also one of my favorite novels, but also it just it takes you on such a ride. And and I saw that in the theaters and just I'd taken my wife and another friend with me and just like we were so I remember sitting there at the end of that. We were all just sitting there at the end of the film and it's a three hour film, you know, and you just we were sitting there just awestruck. You know, by just like, wow, did they really just pull that off? And it's like, the answer is yes, they did just pull that. So what, what, I mean, I, I always feel like when I watch one of their films for the first time that I have sort of a eh, reaction to it, but then I'll let it sit for a little while and marinate. And then I'll be like, you know what? That was pretty, that's pretty fucking great. Actually. I mean, do you, do you get that same feeling from them uh, in, in watching their films with, with the ones that I've seen? Yes, um, this is the one. Speed Racer is the one that I point to and go, "That's the one that is my favorite, and the one that I think is like super confident and more so than um, the Matrix, the first Matrix." Oh God, yes, yeah. Even though I it think, shares, think, it shares DNA. Uh, yeah, I still, I, I would, if given the choice, I'd pick Speed Racer over the Matrix. The, um. You know, and that's no disrespect to the Matrix or what you know what that is as a franchise within itself, but um, you know, absolutely no disrespect. But Speed Racer was the one in their canon that would stand out to me. I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending. I did like Cloud Atlas a lot. Um, so I'm trying to think if I've seen all of their work. You know, I think um, that's it. I think you named all. Not a whole <laughs> you know, lot. Uh, there's not a whole lot, but there's a just a lot packed into when they do. Uh, right. when they do actually step behind the camera and direct something. Right. Um, which also, I remember reading an interview with them a few years ago and they were talking, I think this is when Jupiter Ascending came out and it was taking mm-hmm. absolute, you know, <laughs> drubbing, you know. Um, and they said, well, what happens when there's no original ideas anymore? You know, what happens when studios don't put up the money to, you know, take the chance on something? You know, it's just like, this is the world we now live in. And, you know, of course, Matrix Resurrections is a direct, uh, <laughs> you know, commentary on that. Have you seen that? Have you have you yeah. watched? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a direct commentary on that. It's definitely on, there. You know, uh, but... I've thought about that often over the years now, as we, we continue to spiral deeper and deeper 
into non-original, you know, big tentpole films. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it itches the back of my neck a little bit. <laughs> you know, I would, I would like to see some, some more, some more young filmmakers given a chance uh, to, to, to do, you know, their jaws or their, star wars or the, you yeah. know what i mean like well i think it's, i mean are, it's got to come at some point right yeah like i mean i i well I, I would think that those people are out there they're just not working in traditional cinema right they're working in you know uh new formats you know i mean you do have to sort of contextualize movies right uh against more modern day um entertainment outlets right i mean most people are watching i know we ran about this but most people are watching serialized content it's episodic sure. and so, so movies are sort of a secondary maybe even third uh modality for people to watch stuff uh in that sort of story form right so right um yeah i don't i don't know um i, I feel like there's you know great youth work going on but it's not necessarily in traditional um, traditional, traditional cinema, cinema yeah. format yeah that's fair and, that, um, and that's completely fair well uh, and i know, offer that just as a sense of hope because i do you know because i do sense their depression about the industry and i also sense you know how you were sort of feeling about it as well i was getting that that sense too of like well where's the you know where's the fresh where's the you know where's the new voice where's the um you know where's the uh the new energy coming from um and it's you know i i i i think it's out there i think it's yeah. out there um but i i you know with mainstream commercial cinema you know um which speed racer went through and which most i think i would argue to say all of the wachowskis or wachowskis have experienced studios sort of royalty release effects budgets like i don't i you know they may have had conflicts but they certainly weren't uh, devoid of resources right to be able to create their their art um so it'd be nice if if you know um if you had uh, a studio that would say let me just take this film generation kid and give him a budget of what 150 million dollars to go make sure. your star wars yeah why not yeah. right that's yeah. i just don't know if that financial risk is 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 viable anymore i mean it might have been in the 70s right with the film school generation kids but um you know, I think even what was it? You would find this funny because you're always ragging on Coppola, but I, you know how he was, you know, how he was like amassing and getting ready to shoot his like megaopolis or megatropolis or whatever yes. this opus thing was, right? And the budget was like, I don't know, it had ballooned to like over 200 million at one point. Well, now it's like stalled, right? It's yeah, stalled. yeah. But it's not his fault. Because I just because I just can't get the money right. It's not my right, fault. It's not, it's not his fault. Right. It's never his fault, you know, ever, ever. <laughs> My vision I, I wanna, is too grand for the budget that I am like, well, everybody budget. could, you know, yeah, sure. The, uh, uh, but I, I think too, that I agree with what you're saying. And again, I'll go back to Robert Rodriguez and I'll go back to Sin City. Um, sure. At a time, it's just like, he basically shot this on green screen in his back lot at his right. house, you know, yeah. with a, with a yeah. skeleton crew and, yeah. quote unquote troublemaker studios whatever that means right um you know and he's i mean he's gone on to to create his own franchises the spy kids stuff the sin right. cities right. The, you know 
about embracing that, you know, the technology is available. It's, I think, again, if you can't go a traditional route, then you've really got to scrape it together somehow, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he, he's got a new movie coming out. I'm kind of looking forward to it. You know, I always, he's always in the back of my mind because I know at least always his films are going to be interesting because he's going to have as little interference as possible right, uh, right. with what he wants to do. And um, I think that, you know, I, I saw his Mandalorian episode and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, but, you know, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, he he's one of those that are still left out there. You know, he doesn't, he, he, he went the really smart route, I think, and said, well, Hollywood is never going to give me the money I want anyway. So I'll just do it myself. You know, I'll just, I'll just do it myself. You know, I think it's interesting. Again, he went through, through, through really through family entertainment Mm -hmm. and built that through the spy kids franchise. Absolutely. To allow him to do machete or, you know, things like that. I mean, you know, he produces a lot of stuff um, and he's, you know, he's got his own, uh, TV network now that runs, oh the L Ray network the, yeah. right yeah yeah um uh so he's you know he you're right though he he sort of you know like um like a lot of our young students want to do Jeff right? he sort of became his own little content producer right um where he controlled everything you know from production to facilities to uh promotion to release all that kind of stuff um and uh I think that you see some of that today but it's like people are content creators for, uh, for, you know, for other, for other mediums. It's like the, we have, we have a hundred thousand Robert Rodriguez is all on, you know, YouTube trying to, you know, make things with green screens and do, you know, in their garages and stuff like that. It's, it's become um, uh, ultra democratic, right? There's so many people that are experimenting and doing things. Um, so. But I don't know. You, I think, yeah, the, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think the point though is, is like, do you have a vision of it being palatable and do yeah. you have, do you have the storytelling chops? Right. Right. You know, he's, he's got the storytelling chops, man. Like it's just like, he comes from, he's a Papa George's lineage, you know, right. it's just like he, he, he is a leukocyte yes. and he, be, he believes in, it's just like, it starts with story. Right. And then you, you know, you'll, you'll create everything else around <laughs> it. And I mean, that's, that's a rare commodity. You know, I mean, I'm not taking a big shit on YouTubers at, at all. I, I, you know, again, I've picked up an iPhone camera and made many short films now. Uh, and I would sit there and grimace <laughs> you know, as I watch it back and, and go, oh, Lord, no, this isn't for public. <laughs> this isn't for public consumption sure, at all. Sure. You know, uh, it, it takes a specialized individual, you know, yes. to, to realize and go, OK, well, I want to tell a universal story. And, you know, now I'm going to figure it. I'm going to, you know, reverse engineer it. Basically, I'm going to go, OK, well. I've got the story now in cinematic terms. I got to reverse engineer it and figure out how the hell I'm going to do this. thing. Yes. Believe you me. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's a, those are multiple stories for another time. Uh, we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. We just got done talking about speed racer, uh, 2008, uh, directed by the Wachowskis. Uh, and uh, up next uh, we're staying with the family films that were marketed as family films, but aren't quite family films. At least <laughs> that's what we're kind of debating on too and talking about. Uh, a, a, a one from the Disney vault, the North Avenue Irregulars, 1979, directed by Bruce Bilson. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this over to you so we can get this ball rolling. 
Thanks. Yeah. So uh, Disney had a string of films that were live action in the 60s and the 70s. Um, a lot of us can remember watching these, you know, in school on movie day. They would roll out. That's right. Or camp or, uh, you know, many of these were even shown during a Sunday night church service for the youth or, you know, I mean, they were just they were ubiquitous. Right. They were everywhere. So um this is a particular one. The North Avenue Irregulars is a particular one that my family really sort of latched onto. It was something we watched a lot, but there were some others. I'm just going to throw out some titles here just to ring everybody's bells here. Uh, Apple Dumpling Gang. Yes. Uh, the original Parent Trap. Yep. The Cat from Outer Space. Absolutely. The Computer That Wore Tennis, wore tennis shoes, shoes. Condor Man. Uh, yes. The Love Bug, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. I just um, want to throw in that the cat from outer space is one of the wildest. <laughs> it's quite weird. I watched it a few years ago again for the first time in forever. And I was just like, Jesus, this thing. It's is crazy. Wild. Yes. It's crazy. Um, and so uh yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, um there's a lot of nostalgia, I think, for those of us who remember those live action films or you or you grew up with them, you know, Swiss Family Robinson or Candle Shoe or maybe even Davy Crockett or something, you know, really, really Johnny Tremaine. Disney did all oh, these. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Johnny Appleseed, all this, all this stuff. Um, you know, Disney did a lot of stuff that wasn't animation. And so um, and a lot of that stuff is really fondly remembered. So this is where that film sort of falls in in you know in, in that sort of lexicon right um the north avenue irregulars is a comedy film that tells the story of a group of churchgoers who decide to take matters into their own hands when they discover that a local gangster is running illegal activities by that we mean he's sort of a loan shark he's a gambler like yeah, yeah that's pretty much what he is um, uh, out of a local amusement park. So led by their newly appointed pastor, a uh, ripe young looking Bernard Herman playing Reverend yes. Michael Hill. Uh, he joins forces um, with uh, a ragtag group of folks, um, which include, let's see, a former football player, a housewife, a librarian, and a police officer. All of them use their unique skills to infiltrate the park and to put an end to the criminal activities. And along the way, they face a number of obstacles, including corrupt police officers, gangster henchmen, church bombings. Uh, but with their strong sense of community and their faith, they are able to overcome them and restore, quote unquote, justice to their neighborhood the film ends with the group being hailed as heroes and the amusement park being transformed into a family-friendly attraction. Uh, this movie is also based on a novel um, by Albert Fay Hill. And so the movie was inspired by real events that actually took place at a church in New Rochelle, New York in October of 1963. The real North Avenue Presbyterian Church did lose its charter, and at some point before the movie was released, it was sold to the city of New Rochelle and stood vacant for more than 30 years, and it is now owned by uh, a Pentecostal congregation. So some interesting history, right, yeah. behind this movie. Um but uh, Jeff, I think one of the, of the many things that we could talk about in here, right? 
um i'll just i'll just toss out a couple of things here at the beginning and then we'll get to the meat okay, okay. um uh, bruce bilson this was his first feature he's really only known for one other thing which is a movie called chattanooga choo choo mm-hmm. uh from the mid 80s um but if you look at bilson's imdb his television directing credits go back 30 years so this was a individual who definitely it was time for him you know to take the reins of a of of a feature film right he had Mm -hmm. done a tremendous amount of really high quality television work um the cast also includes you know some disney regulars and also hollywood celebs of the day barbara harris cloris leachman who kind of cloris leachman who kind of steals the movie in some ways karen valentine susan clark um you know these these are regular you know disney uh actresses who would show up in other things like freaky friday or you know what whatever uh, apple dumpling egg whatever it was um so um so we could talk about um what this movie says about the role of women we could talk about Mm -hmm. what this movie says about uh community and church and faith what this movie's idea of justice is about um, yeah. We could talk about how this movie becomes a gangster crime film kind of like halfway through. And you're like, what am well, I watching? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll start with, I think it's interesting at one point, the Edward Herman uh, pastor character mentions, well, what is the role of a church in a community? Right. And he points out that because everyone's like, you know, you need to leave this alone. We need to, you know, why would you try to, you know, bring down gambling in this town? He's just like, because we're the, we are the, the, the barometer, we're the, we're the barometer, right? We're I the mean, moral we're barometer. barometer, you know, and, and yes, if we yes. don't stand for something, then what are we doing here? That's right. And this is an vigilante church groups, church. Jeff. Right. I mean, this is administering justice in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, that'll get a slight grimace from me, you know, because <laughs> I, you know, based on, Based on some recent stuff in Tennessee and whatnot, you know, yeah, um, that's quite that, that, interesting. You know, yeah. I, I think that there can always be two sides of the coin, though. Sure. And I think that this is, again, representative of, of what I would think would be the more, I think, acceptable social crusades rather than, you know, attacking, you know, personal liberty. Sure. In, sure. in, in you know, uh, sure. Uh, in individual autonomy. I, I suppose now it can be argued if we're going to go down this road, though, uh, <laughs> let's put on our big boy thinker caps. Uh, as far as like individual liberty goes, well, you can spend your money how you wish. You know, if you yeah. want to gamble it all the way, by God, you can just gamble until you're naked in the streets. And these days I can do it with my phone. Right. I mean, and these well, days you, know you can do it with right, your phone. Right, yeah. um, so there is that aspect of it, too. But I still like. I can see, you know, this is a very Disneyified message, yes. right? Although it is interesting for Disney to put its, its, you know, push all everything into the religious boat uh, uh, with with this film. That's that's a hell of a stance, you know, for yes. this at the time this corporation <laughs> to say, you know, well, you know, religion's got something good working for it. You know, I'm just like, ooh, ooh, you're crossing some lines. <laughs> I, I maybe because it was based on actual events uh, right. and they were able to write justify it a little bit more because it does seem to be, I th- you know, I think the right word is risk, right? Like it was a risk for Disney. Does it feel like that for them to do this movie or is it safe enough 
for them, right? To well, it, it depends on how we're looking at it, though. I mean, if we're if if we're marketing it as a family film, the first question that would come to mind is just like, well, what is the value you're teaching children here? Right. Right. Is it you're using the word vigilante, which is interesting because you know, vigilante means to take literally to take action into one's own hands mm-hmm. uh, and, and operate outside the parameters of agreed upon law. Right. So is that really a good message for children? Uh, you know, <laughs> well, then we got to erase cancel Batman right now. Cancel Just Batman. Cancel Batman. Right? Right, you know, and it, they even say that at one point in the movie, there's even that. Line. Oh yeah. Who do you think you are? Batman? <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. That's great. Um, and so, you know, you have to sort of think, okay, so it's not the vigilante. It's gotta be the church thing. How is the church being really represented here? And, you know, it's not, they're not um there's diversity there's not uh it doesn't seem exclusionary it's really promoting inclusion and even the um you know even the the father character um or the reverend right, right. they keep calling him father and he says reverend yeah he keeps he keeps correcting everybody Dude, and i go i go um, all pastor i always say yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um he he is even trying to be more progressive, right, and to open up the more traditionalists to more uh, uh, contemporary ideas of, say, worship services, right, with bringing in that that seventies Partridge Family band to play at the church, the Strawberry Shortcake. Oh, can we talk band. about the Strawberry? Oh my shortcake. God, don't they just let you know? These young men have chosen the Lord as their. It's <laughs> it's just amazing, right? It's just amazing. <laughs> I love, when he, I love when he shows up to their little outdoor rehearsal. They're like, hey, man, what's going on? What's up? What's, what's up? Groovy. Um, and it had to be good to see some, right. some Partridge family youth being represented as 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 wholesome, right? Because of, uh, of, of the bad uh, juju coming out of the late 70s in terms of how that sort of hippie progressive part of our culture was still in existence, but how they were sort of being, you know, um, I guess uh, stereotyped in some some ways, um, but yeah, there's just you know in those costumes, there's, it's just it's just great. Now, there's something else too in this movie that I can't not mention, mm-hmm. and that is that this is this is really a movie that's got some car porn, Jeff. I mean, there are a lot of classic cars now yes. that are in this movie. They weren't classic at the time, right? But there's a Jaguar that they only made something like 10,000 of. There's um, some of those Continental LTDs with the steel top. Like th- mm-hmm. These are cars, and they destroyed them all, Jack. They destroy was- them all. They, there's a huge car chase demolition yes. derby at the it's end. Car chase, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, It's really the demolition derby that's impressive, though. I, I mean, it's – they do this one th- – car stacking thing and i they I didn't just have the like, cgi that the wakowskis did right right, right. they're it's, using real cars yeah i'm like my first reaction is always okay who got hurt like right. some somebody right. right somebody got hurt a lot of stunt drivers and that woo. yeah 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 it's pretty it's pretty amazing um and uh i did read I don't, I don't know if this is true or not but i did uh read where um the church that they blew up, that that actual church, that they messed it up. Like the first take, they didn't they didn't have film in the camera. Oh no! Now, I don't I don't know if that's true or not because I can tell you this: I've been on sets and if there wasn't film in the camera, like you know, it was it was ugly. So mm-hmm. if that did indeed happen, that must have been nasty because so they had to rebuild the church and then blow it up again, and that that 
site is still there at Buena Vista Studios. Now, I, yeah, I was going to say, this is all on Backlot. So. Right. I, I don't know. It could be true, uh, but uh, I don't know. But I thought that was interesting, too, that, gosh, what a what a day's you know worth of production value going and then having to rebuild it and it, um, just putting schedules and stuff behind. Like, it just, I just, what a nightmare I can, for a I production. can feel the eye rubbing now even all these decades later that was yeah. occurring at that moment where they go, Oh, there's no film in the can. Because there's, I mean, there were, there were uh, some quite, uh, quite a few extensive cuts in, in uh, those chase sequences, especially at the end, you know, yes. and I'm like, that took a lot of coordination because it's just, it's real oh, yeah. cars, people. It's um, almost like a, it's almost, it becomes a how need film in the end, you know? Yeah. Like, that's what it you reminds know? you of. Right. Is yeah. The, I mean, we've got some uh, uh, stroke race and yeah. cannonball run and uh Smokey and a bandit. Yeah. Hooper. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 But, uh, Stroke so, race, stroke race, um, fastest chicken in the south. Uh, sorry, that's those of you who will get it will get it. Um, yeah, anyway, Burt Reynolds, just just Burt Reynolds, folks. Burt yeah, Reynolds. but it's Ned Beatty sitting there going, fastest chicken. <laughs> um, so the 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 feminism angle in this film, as you mentioned yes. too, is tremendous because we do have, you know women we're, we're not second-class citizens here you know That's and right. and yes we're we're mothers and daycarers and you know taking care of business but especially the mom who's like always toting around like five kids or whatever it is in the in the station wagon but yet still just being like i can do it i can do it i can do it you know um it, it is refreshing uh especially in in the context of a family film um that they're showing this side of of motherhood you know and that that mom is not just who cooks dinner and makes sure we get to church on time it's just like you know mom's got interests too and they can be community interests, <laughs> right right you know, right all right. of these things and they can take action right and be successful yeah no i think you know i'm i i'm i think i texted this to you but i watched this with zoe it was her first experience she's 13 year old female right and uh i was like interested to see how she would react because i agree with you i think it's a film that that is gentle and definitely 70s but the oh, women yeah. in this movie find agency and they find you know a, a sense of themselves and they have success and they become they become the leaders and the men start following what they want to do and what their plans are and what the you know and and that is a positive thing i think um and it is refreshing um, because there's like six of them and they're all <laughs> they're all just great at yeah. their own little individual characterizations. It's, it's a lot of fun. Virginia Capers mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, I'm trying to remember her character's name. Um, uh, Cleo. Yeah. Cleo. yeah. So funny. Um, just absolutely cracks me up. I just I love that the, they put all these like really interesting phrases on the used cars she drives <laughs> you know it's just like you know mama's first or yeah. just like still new or it's a quick joke you know yeah. what i mean like they're yeah. all they're yeah. all if, yeah. you, if you're paying attention yeah. it's a really good quick yeah. throwaway joke. but you definitely know like who rules the roost you know, at right. Cleo's house, you know, Cle right. Cleo's we the never boss. meet her yeah. husband. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And Cleo's the boss. Yeah. Cleo's the boss. <laughs> you know, Cloris Leachman is unmarried. Uh, we've got one mom with the, with the kids. And then the other that is getting married, which is sort of our main, 
I don't know. Would you recall her the main? Yeah, her storyline is her storyline because she's going to be marrying into an awful situation. It looks like a guy yes. with serious mother issues. Yes, uh, and also some weird car yes. erotica that I I can't quite wrap my head there, around. Okay, so okay, so you mentioned that, and I'm just going to mention a couple <laughs> of other things. Oh, you're going to put that on me? In okay, that's movie. fine. No, no, yes. no, no, no. I just, I just, I there, there were some things that made you go, hmm, when you were watching this movie. Okay, uh, one of which was it's a G-rated movie, right? Yes. And at at one point, you know, the one of the moms is in disguise and she's at the bar, and it's it's this oh, uh, when she dresses young lady, dresses right? Up. She dresses up like a, you know, like a prostitute and she goes into the bar and she's trying to work this guy for information. Right. And they're trying to set up these this uh, this disguise and her rich fiance goes in there with her mother. And I, I just I remember not being really sure why when I saw it when I was little, like why they were so upset other than just they were just rude people like yes you know the 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 future in-laws you know that they were just right. rude people um and then i thought well rich people are just rude right um that's what you take away right yeah um but something else outside of the prostitution uh is is the are we going to talk about the fact that marv Who's mm -hmm. the the old guy at the beginning, right? Who's on the ladder, and they have to Here like save, right? Right. <laughs> Marv, Jeff, Marv yes. spends more than probably seventy five percent of the movie in drag. Yep. That is and correct. at the end of the movie, does not want to stop wearing no. women's clothes. In fact, he's very and, upset that he had a run in his stocking. Yes. And so I thought that was noteworthy because it it while it still identifies a stereotype, right, that has existed in cinema, that it was still representation and visibility, you know, and mm -hmm. um and it was snuck in. You cannot tell me that that was not intentional. That was like, yeah, it'll be a great gag, but that that mm -mm, mm -mm, it's intentional. Yeah, well, I mean, and also just the handling of that it's treated as like it's just a natural. Well, of course, we get him to dress up like a woman. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, right. there's no gay joke. Well, he's got to be in disguise. Anything. He's got to be in disguise, right? So, right, right. Yeah, so, right. that's the only way we can disguise him. We got to dress him up like a woman. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's hats off, you know, no, no gay jokes, gay innuendo, anything inappropriate. And, you know, in that vein, it's, it's, his transformation as a character is then treated almost as a whole other character, you yes. know, with a different layer of yes, an almost different layer of respect to it. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, it's just I just thought that was really fascinating takeaway, um, you know. And it's Zoe that actually pointed it out and said, you know, why does this dude still? Why is he still wearing women's clothes? Is that supposed to be funny, you know? And I'm like. Not anymore. Uh, not anymore. Um, but it yeah. was probably laughed at at the time, Zoe, because you know that just wasn't as normalized as it is today, and that was right. um, quite refreshing to be able to say that, right? But then to also talk about how it was visibility, um, which did open up the conversation, right? Um, so yeah, that was another thing that I had to mention because I caught that on the on the rewatch. Um, well, and there's no, there's no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say. Well, you know, two. In talking about these films, especially the Disney films, and, and the 80s are coming, and Disney is arguably going to go into the young adult 
unabashed young adult market for a few years and test the waters with something wicked this way comes watcher in the woods tron, tron. um they're gonna go dark return to oz return to oz they're gonna they're gonna go dark and these are still films and we'll get around to these films eventually in this podcast but i i do want to say that this is an interesting demarcation point as far as again disney figuring out or maybe by coincidence, you know, that it's just like, well, what is a family film anymore? That's right. You know, we can't, you know, how do we, how do we create these things? We obviously, again, the goal is to put it on Sunday night on the wonderful world of Disney, which people of our generation know that was appointment television, Yep. you know, and they would show these films on the wonderful world of Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just part of it. But you know, Disney's growing pains in the early 80s. It, oh, Dragon Slayer, too. I'll throw that in there because I posted mm-hmm. something about Dragon, but they did a co-production on that. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's interesting. I think this movie really marks that one of those points, along with Escape from Witch Mountain. Um, I think it's it's an interesting turn of events suddenly where they're going. We really don't understand what it is for the modern family to go to the movies, but we're just going to start throwing clay at the wall and 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 see what works. Maybe something will work. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody was trying to catch up to Star Wars, right? I mean, um, so Disney is no different, right? Like um, when you're children are sophisticating themselves i guess through culture right in the late 70s early 80s they're more into science fiction and more into uh you know actiony stuff and um not so much uh pollyanna right? or the I apple mean, dumpling gang or the apple dumpling <laughs> gang you know that that kind of i mean and those films are are great but yeah. you know but but generations grow up and what they want as an audience base changes because they mature as people right so um you know the hokey kind of slapstick don knots tim conway stuff isn't funny anymore we want to see indiana jones you know i mean we you know we want something that's a little more more grown up but it's still got to have content that's suitable for well we start we start moving into what we've discussed a little bit on the show too about like you know uh, family films moving into the children in peril category yes you know um yes you know that's what i mean when we take a darker you know introducing violence into children so you know in north avenue regulars has a lot of violence even though it's it does. there are gun there's gunplay in this film. yeah um you know so i mean yeah it, it, it's it's an interesting study in the changing tastes of american consumers right as far as like how are we developing but on the opposite end of that, to me, there are adults making decisions here for children's programming that you can't erase it once it's been there. Sure. You know, and I, I mean, I'm not going to say things scarred me, but things certainly shaped my creativity and imagination and the right. way that I view things when right. I think about a something wicked this way. Mm. comes you know or love that movie it's so good that's great so we'll get around to that on this show too at some point but um i I mean 
Well, just, Jeff, I think it was, it's, it was, you know, some of that is um, different for our, you know, for subsequent generations. I think it was Neil Postman that wrote about hmm. the disappearance of childhood, right? Yeah. And the idea of childhood as this sort of finite period of time where you were allowed to be innocent and, and exposure to certain sort of adult content things were more restricted. They were, you know, it wasn't as free flowing as our media is today. So, you know, um, uh, so that, that, that era has sort of disappeared. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, and Postman was writing about this in the eighties. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, that, that momentum carried through the decade with the creation eventually of the PG 13, you know, I mean, that's, that's that debate circling around what, what constitutes G PG PG. That's a debate about what's a family oriented film. Yeah. And that's what that is. Looking at you, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Thank you so much for Kalima. Yeah. Kalima Shakti. Best one in the franchise. <laughs> Stand by that till the day I die. Woo. Yep. Right, so we get to that episode. Well, Children. I'm just oh saying. My. I'm oh just my. saying. Oh my. Uh, you can get in touch with us a number of ways. You can email us lonelyphds at gmail.com. Or you can click on the Discord uh, link in our show notes. We post a bunch of stuff over there and discuss, and you're always welcome to come join in on the conversation. Uh, you, If you would, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review the show through Apple, Podbean, Google, or wherever you get your podcasting uh, needs taken care of. We're always appreciative of you when you drop us a line and we get to get to know. If you want to suggest movies, you know, that's also a way you can do that. We're completely open to uh, to to audience suggestion. So please do so. Uh, we're happy to happy to uh, to reciprocate. Uh, and until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then. Bye.